Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Tudor's Dynasty podcast with Rebecca Larson. Welcome to this bonus episode of the Tudor's Dynasty podcast. This one's called Rebecca's Mailbag. In the last year or so, I created a submit a question page on my Tudor's Dynasty website. Now, the initial idea was for me to be able to reply and answer these questions via email, but I overlooked the fact that I didn't create a line for the submitter's email address, so I couldn't email them back. Details are so important. So today, I have a few questions that I need to answer. Now, these may be ones that you've pondered yourself, so hopefully you'll enjoy this. My first question comes from David Withers in Sheffield. David asks, why did Catherine of Aragon not just fall down some stairs or die of melancholy? Did Henry and Cromwell have some residual morals and ethics, or did they just think that they could not get away with it? The short and sweet answer to this, David, is because the repercussions would have been too severe for Henry and for England to go through with something so nefarious. Had Catherine died under suspicious circumstances, Charles V and the Holy Roman Empire would have waged war against him. So it was definitely not worth the risk to England. The next question comes from Alex in Florida. Now, this is kind of a long question, so bear with me. Alex says, I've long been intrigued by Elizabeth I. She was clearly a highly intelligent woman, a survivor, and a mystery. One mystery that has always struck me is her association with snakes. There is, of course, the famous rainbow portrait with the beautifully embroidered and jeweled snake on her sleeve that usually gets very little attention because the focus seems to be on the eyes and ears and possible mouths and the strange tubular and colorless rainbow she holds in her hand. The whole picture is an enigma. But then there was discovered the snake she holds in her hand in another far less well-known portrait that was overpainted with flowers and thus remained hidden from us until cleaning and restoration efforts exposed it, along with a completely different woman beneath the portrait of the queen. However, it seems clear that the snake was painted close to the overpainting's complexion and was definitely meant to be part of the Elizabeth portrait. Serpent jewelry has also been mentioned in passing among many of her treasures and are overshadowed by more well-known famous pieces. Alex really wants to know, what is the mysterious connection between English queens and snakes? No serious scholarly research seems to have been done regarding Elizabeth I and her possible affinity for snakes. Is there anyone who can shed some light on this? Alex, I spoke to Dr. Estelle Peronk, and she pointed out to me that the snake was a symbol of wisdom or knowledge, and she recommended the research of English art historian Roy Strong. Now, in Roy's book, The Cult of Elizabeth, he makes mention of the rainbow portrait, and in it, he states that on Elizabeth's left sleeve is embroidered a serpent. From the serpent's mouth hangs a heart. Now, the heart 
is the symbol of passions, while the serpent is a symbol of wisdom. So, as we know, Elizabeth would want to be seen as wise, so that is likely the reason why you would see serpents attached to her. This brief interruption is brought to you by, well, me. Do you love Tudor's Dynasty? Consider becoming a patron on Patreon. Patrons get access to all kinds of amazing things that the everyday listener does not. Find out more by going to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Tudor's Dynasty, and click Become a Patron for details. All right, back to the show. My next question is from Bruce W. Cobb in Bridge City, Texas. Bruce says, did Jasper Tudor have illegitimate daughters, Ellen and Joan, by a name that I cannot pronounce? (laughs) And could Ellen and Joan be the same woman? Their timelines of birth, marriage, children, etc. are very close. Okay, for this one, I had to reach out to Jasper Tudor expert Tony Riches for some clarification. And here was Tony's answer. Tony remarked that it had been five years since he researched Jasper, but he did remember being unable to find any reliable sources for his illegitimate daughters, although he thinks it's very likely, so he put the scene in Chapter 4 of Jasper. Jasper glanced at the determined faces of the men around him and realized more was at stake than a flag and a veil. Reputations could be made or lost at these races, both for the horses and the tough Irishmen who rode them. An eager, shouting crowd jostled for a better view on either side of the cleared course. Men called out for bets to be placed, and a scuffle broke out, but was stopped before it could become a fight. An attractive young woman appeared from nowhere and reached up to tie a red silk ribbon around Jasper's arm. For good luck, sir. Her eyes shone with amusement as she spoke. Gabriel called across to him. She favors you, sir. Jasper raised a hand in thanks and saw her smile in acknowledgement. She reminded him a little of a woman that he had known in North Wales so long ago. He had been so preoccupied with recruiting and training his skirmishers, he had almost forgotten about Mirfenwy and the little dark-haired daughter, Ellen, she claimed was his. Mirfenwy's eyes sparkled with the same seductive sense of fun whenever she looked at him. He had no way of knowing if the child could be his, but in his heart he knew it might be. So he provided her with a good house and enough money to live comfortably. He smiled to himself as he recalled his father's reaction when he learned that he had a granddaughter. His father could hardly disapprove, as he had fathered a child with his maidservant, Bethan. The boy, Jasper's half-brother David Owen, now lived with Bethan, at his father's old house in Bomaris. He wondered when he would next be able to see them. I am so sorry if I slaughtered all those names. I have no idea how to pronounce Welsh names. The next question comes from Ginger in California. Ginger says, love your podcast, but what I want to know is that learning about all the other possible successors, why Elizabeth went with James when Henry VIII excluded his sister Margaret's line in the succession plan. Even Elizabeth's brother Edward went towards his aunt Margaret's line. So why James? Any justification for this? To best answer this question, Ginger, I reached out to historian and author Dr. Linda Porter. This is what Linda had to say for us. 
She said, In my view, the succession of James VI of Scotland to the English throne was secured in 1587, the moment that the axe fell on the head of his mother, Mary, Queen of Scots. As the great-grandson of Margaret Tudor and James IV of Scotland, he was the closest in blood to Elizabeth I. He also had the great advantage of being a Protestant and would therefore not seek to depose Elizabeth on a religious grounds, as his mother had attempted to do. He was 21 years old, would make an advantageous marriage to Anne of Denmark within two years, and had weathered the storms of a long and difficult minority by asserting his own authority and refusing to be browbeaten by Elizabeth. He could afford to wait in Scotland for Elizabeth's demise. It may have been rather longer in coming than he would have liked, but England was worth waiting for. There were other more distant heirs to Elizabeth in England, in the form of descendants of Princess Mary Tudor, the youngest surviving child of Henry VII, and her husband Charles Brandon. Their granddaughter, Catherine Grey, sister to Lady Jane Grey, had two sons, but her secret marriage infuriated Elizabeth, and her sons were never going to be serious contenders against James Stuart's stronger claim. There were also descendants of Mary and Charles Brandon's younger daughter, Eleanor, who by then were earls of Derby. But again, no one, least of all Elizabeth, apparently thought of them as a realistic alternative to James. However, they are an interesting family, and perhaps more work should be done on them. The first tutor, Henry VII, had apparently pondered the question of the English succession at the time of Margaret Tudor's marriage to James IV of Scotland in 1503. He considered it unlikely that Margaret's heirs would ever sit on the throne of England. But he was wrong, and a century after Margaret's splendid wedding to James, her great-grandson came south amid universal rejoicing as the first king of a new dynasty. A very special thank you to Dr. Estelle Peronk, Tony Riches, and Dr. Linda Porter for assisting me in answering these questions in the very first Rebecca's Mailbag. Hey, if you're listening to this, you have a question that you would like me to get answered. All you have to do is go to tutorsdynasty.com in the menu, select submit a question. That'll pop an email over to me and then stay tuned for future bonus episodes of Rebecca's Mailbag to see if your question gets answered. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tudor's Dynasty podcast. You can follow and support the Tudor's Dynasty podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon at Tudor's Dynasty.